This morning we resume our series in the Gospel of John. As most of you know, this is my second Sunday back after two months in Canada. And uh, last week I just preached something else, just a standalone sermon unrelated to our series. But I've been preaching through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings. And today we pick up where we left off. And that puts us in John chapter 14 from verses 12 to 14. And in this passage, we have a commonly misunderstood statement of Jesus. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, fair enough. We're good so far. But then Jesus says, And greater works than these will he do. This is commonly misunderstood. And frankly... I think what Jesus says here is somewhat enigmatic. Jesus doesn't always speak plainly, does he? Well, that's no shortcoming in his communication abilities. He does that on purpose, he says in Luke chapter 8. And the reason that he does that is because he wants us to listen carefully and to think carefully about what he says. Jesus wants us to have ears to hear rather than making superficial judgments about him and his teaching as the Pharisees did. So Jesus often intentionally speaks somewhat obscurely and somewhat enigmatically so that we'll really have to zone in on what he's saying and really tune in and really think carefully about what he is saying. So what could Jesus mean here when he says that Whoever believes in him will do greater works than these, which he has been doing throughout his earthly life and ministry. Does Jesus mean that those who believe in him will do greater things than raise the dead, as Jesus raised Lazarus from his tomb just a few chapters earlier? Does Jesus mean that those who believe in him will do greater things than calm the wind and sea? as he did on the Sea of Galilee? Surely not. And yet, this is a common misunderstanding of what Jesus means here. But it doesn't even make sense theoretically, let alone ring true to our lived experience. Our charismatic brothers and sisters often interpret this passage this way. Some of them teach that our lives should be so full of physical, material signs and wonders that our lives surpass even the supernatural life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because after all, Jesus says right here, it's in the Bible, right? That those who believe in Him will do greater works than those which Jesus was doing up to this point in His earthly life and ministry. But think about it. Does that even make sense theoretically? That someone could go around doing greater physical, material signs and wonders than Jesus did in raising people from the dead, or as I say, calming the sea, or healing every single person in a village, which the scripture records for us that Jesus did. It doesn't even make sense theoretically that this would be referring to physical, material signs and wonders. Because how could someone's life 
possibly top Jesus' life in terms of greater physical, material signs and wonders. And of course, this understanding doesn't just, it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny when we think about the lived experience, even of our charismatic brothers and sisters who claim that this should be the reality. Because how many of our charismatic brothers and sisters are doing even the same level of physical, material signs and wonders as Jesus? Let alone greater ones. Now, for the sake of argument, even if in pockets and spurts and isolated incidents, Christians sometimes see someone raised from the dead or healed from some physical infirmity, or see the wind and the waves calmed, or see everyone in a village healed. And I'm not even going to dispute that claim for the sake of argument today. We'll just grant it. Even if somebody heard once of someone somewhere in the world who did something like this, it is plain and it is obvious that the normal lived experience, even of people who claim that this is what this passage means, it is plain and obvious that it is not the normal Christian experience for people to go around doing greater works than Jesus. So it doesn't hold up theoretically, nor does it hold up to lived experience that that is what Jesus means here in this passage. So let's eliminate that understanding as an interpretive possibility of what Jesus means here. What then could Jesus mean when he says that whoever believes in him will do greater works? The most common alternative to the understanding mentioned a moment ago is that believers in Jesus will do more, numerically more, material, physical signs and wonders than Jesus did. In other words, if you add up all the miracles done by the apostles and others throughout the rest of church history, they would add up to a greater sum than the sum of miracles that Jesus did in his earthly life and ministry. So greater is taken to mean numerically more. And I've heard this one put forward several times, even in Reformed circles, as a supposed compelling alternative to the what I could say is basically the charismatic misinterpretation of it. But this interpretation also fails for two reasons. As Carson says, first there are perfectly good Greek ways of saying more. And second then the meaning would be unbearably trite. That Jesus if Jesus were simply teaching here that if you add up all the signs that everyone else will do, they'll add up to more signs than I would do. It's a very, very trite statement. So no, that is not what Jesus means either. So what does Jesus mean? This morning we're looking at two things. One is the meaning of greater works, and the second is the basis upon which those greater works are done. So without further ado, let's consider the meaning of greater works. And to understand what this phrase means, it would be prudent for us to go back to John chapter 5 and verse 20 and see the first appearance of this phrase in John's gospel. 
there in that chapter, John chapter 5, and in verse 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. So Jesus is explaining to the crowds that He is working with and for His Father. And that He does whatever the Father shows Him that He's up to in the world. So when the Father shows the Son, hey, this is what I'm up to in the world, Jesus gets on board with that, so to speak, and does those works. Jesus indicates in chapter 5 that one day He knows that He will see God the Father doing even greater things in the world than He was doing in His earthly life and ministry. Yes, you did hear that right. Jesus indicates that one day He will see God the Father doing even greater things in this world than He was doing, Jesus was doing, during His earthly life and ministry. Look again at verse uh, 20 of chapter 5. Jesus says, Greater works than these, that is, those that Jesus was doing in His earthly ministry. Look at it, chapter 5 and verse 20. Greater works than these will the Father show the Son. In other words, one day, the Son is going to see the Father doing even greater things in the world than He was doing at that time. Those are the words of Jesus, not my words. Now, this brings us back to John chapter 14, where Jesus says that believers in Him will do greater things than He had been doing. Which explains to us, which indicates to us rather, that when Jesus was thinking of greater things that the Father would be doing in chapter 5, it couldn't have been sending His Son to the cross to atone for the sins of the world and rising and ascending because believers don't atone for the sins of the world, nor do they rise and ascend to be seated at the right hand of the Father and so on and so forth. Those works were unique to Jesus. So the greater works that Jesus knew He was one day going to see the Father doing in the world, which He indicates in chapter 5, couldn't have been the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus explains that it is believers who will do the greater works. So, in John chapter 14, there is a day coming when believers in Jesus will be doing greater things in the world than Jesus was doing in the world in His earthly life and ministry. Again, Jesus' words, not mine. And I stress that because it sounds almost blasphemous, doesn't it? How can we dishonor Christ so? By saying that God is 
up to things in the world that are greater than when Jesus was here in his earthly life and ministry. How can we say that we are doing greater works than Jesus was doing in his earthly life and ministry? And yet this is what John chapter 5 teaches us, and this is what John 14 teaches us. Are you intrigued yet? We're getting a little ahead of ourselves in John's gospel. But let me pull from John chapter 16 and verse 7 at this juncture. There Jesus tells his disciples, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let me read that again. Because this is the key. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says to his disciples. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Ah, this is the way in which God would do greater things in the world than he did through Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Ah, this is the way in which the believers in Jesus would do greater things in the world than Jesus did throughout his earthly life and ministry. Jesus' earthly life and ministry laid the foundation for the Spirit of the thrice holy God to be poured out upon sinners. And Jesus' earthly life and ministry is the substance of the Spirit-empowered proclamation that believers in Jesus would do. So the earthly life and ministry of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit are not antithetical to one another, but are actually complementary. It is not apart from Jesus that the Spirit comes, but it is because of Jesus that the Spirit comes. It's not something other than Jesus that is the substance of the Spirit's ministry, but Jesus Himself. But nevertheless, with all this in mind, the picture that John 5.20 and John 14.12 paints for us is that it is to be the post-Pentecost age in which the greatest works of God in this world are to be done. Jesus will see the Father doing the greater works of John chapter 5 and verse 20 after He ascends to the Father's right hand and pours out His Spirit upon His people. Believers in Jesus will do the greater works of John chapter 14 and verse 12 after Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand and pours out His Spirit. So what are the greater works that believers in Jesus will do? By process of elimination, I think we get here. And a little bit of good and necessary consequence. Here's the answer. 
spirit-empowered evangelism of the nations. Spirit-empowered conversion of the nations. And spirit-empowered purification, or sanctification, we could say, of the nations. But wait, you say, people can't convert lost souls. And technically, strictly speaking, you're right. No one but God himself can make a dead man live. But William Hendrickson, who's a very solid Reformed commentator, his commentaries are just a staple uh, in many, many Reformed pastors' libraries. William Hendrickson says, Let no one say that the work of conversion can never, in any sense, be ascribed to man. See Ch James chapter 5 and verse 20. Hendrickson says, He who converts a sinner from the error of his way. See also Proverbs 11.30. He who captures souls is wise. And Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Forgot to write that one down, but let me find that one real quick. Those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. This is, Hendrickson says, of course, a very relative way of speaking. The author, the real author of conversion is ever God himself. But he uses man as an agent. The same argument that applies to conversion applies also to the progressive sanctification of those already converted. Most ultimately, God is the author of the progressive sanctification process by which people become holy and blameless. <coughs> but God uses man as an agent. Listen what Paul, a mere man, says about his ministry in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. He says that his ministry is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all nations. Paul intends then, through his ministry, not only to convert the nations, but to bring them to obedience. This is what Paul sets out to do, to bring the nations to obedience. In other words, to progressively sanctify them. What Jesus saw God the Father doing in the world during His own earthly life and ministry was healing some sick, raising some dead, converting some souls. But all, we have to admit, during Jesus' earthly life and ministry, all of it was on a pretty small scale. It was in a very small corner of the world that Jesus lived and Jesus ministered. It was, it was very, very few people who were physically healed and physically raised. It was very, very few people who were spiritually converted during Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Look even at the progressive sanctification of the apostles after three years with Jesus. On the night He was betrayed, they all ran. 
they deserted him. They, let's be honest, they didn't make much progress. And this is no slight on Jesus. It's not, this is not because of his inability. This is because of God's plan and program. That Jesus would lay the foundation for the Spirit to be poured out in order that after Pentecost, we would see a much greater impact on the world than was seen throughout the course of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. It is because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand that the Spirit could be poured out and that greater works could be done and would be done in the world. So this is no slight on Jesus, but according to God's program, Jesus would lay the foundation. But it was through the Spirit, after Pentecost, that we would come into an age of greater works. What we see now, let me rephrase that. What Jesus sees now, the Father doing, is greater in the world than what Jesus saw the Father doing in the world during His own earthly life and ministry. The Gospel presently is going to the nations. The Gospel is converting the nations. It's not going fruitlessly, you understand, to the nations. And believe it or not, the Gospel is purifying the nations. In a very, very narrow field of view, it really looks like the gospel is losing right now in our area of the world. In a very, very narrow view and in, in a very, very short span of human history, it really, really looks like the gospel is losing. But if you look back over history, at a wide field of view, since 70 disciples stood there as Jesus ascended, we see people streaming in to the kingdom. And we see a great work of purification happening. There was, frankly, comparatively little earthly impact made in the time that Jesus walked the earth as is being made now in this post-Pentecost age since the Spirit has been poured out. So the nations are becoming Christ's heritage as prophesied in Psalm 2. There are men and women and boys and girls coming into the kingdom from every tribe and language and people and nation as John saw in his heavenly vision in Revelation. And more and more among the nations are offering up to God the obedience of faith as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. Do you see that greater works are being done. And it is believers who are doing it. In a relative sense, yes, as Hendrickson says, but that's what greater works means in this passage. But lest we leave with too lofty a view of ourselves and too low of a view of Christ, let's look more closely at the basis upon which these greater works are being done. As I've already said in passing, it is because Christ ascended, because Christ poured out His Spirit, 
that believers can do the greater works mentioned. Look even here in John 14 and verse 12 and see that Jesus says, greater works than these will He do because I am going to the Father. As one commentator puts it, it is not in spite of the fact that Jesus is leaving, but because of the fact that Jesus is leaving, that His disciples should expect to do greater works after He leaves. As Jesus will teach later, especially from the verse that I quoted earlier from John chapter 16, it is actually advantageous for Christ's people that He leave the planet and ascend to the Father's right hand. For it is from there that He pours out His Spirit upon His people. And it is from that position of exaltation and authority that He hears our prayers and answers them. Wouldn't you be glad to have a brother ascend to the Prime Minister's office or the President's office to work for your benefit? By way of a very imperfect analogy, that is something like what has happened in the ascension of Christ. Jesus is not physically with us, but He is at the Father's right hand for us. To the exalted seat of power, our beloved Jesus has gone. To sit on David's throne as prophesied, and to be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. It is because Jesus is there, and it is from there, and because from there Jesus poured out His Spirit, and because from there He hears our prayers, it is because of this that we can do greater works, that we can have a greater impact upon this world now than Jesus had in His earthly life and ministry. It is because Jesus is there that we can evangelize with the Spirit's power. It is because Jesus is there that we can bring men and women, boys and girls to faith in Him. It is because Jesus is there that we can disciple and mentor brothers and sisters in Christ to spiritual maturity. It is because Jesus is there that we can pray and see answers to prayers. When we pray, according to God's priorities and plans. After all, that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name, you realize. When we pray according to God's priorities and plans, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, in His exaltation, hears our prayers. And He answers them. And it is all through Jesus that all of this is happening so that we would see just how precious Christ is to us that we would see just how crucial His ascension to 
and session at the Father's right hand is. And in order that we would glorify the Father for sending the Son to us. That's what it means when it says in this passage that the Father will be glorified in the Son through all this. This is all unfolding sequentially in God's plan. Not so that we would start doing greater works than Jesus and having a greater impact on the world and be like, wow, look at how inferior Jesus is to us. Look at how superior we are. We are doing greater works and having a bigger impact. That's not why everything unfolds this way in the Father's plan. Everything unfolds sequentially the way that it does so that we would say, wow, because Jesus lived and died for me and atoned for my sins and clothed me with His righteousness, because He ascended to the Father's right hand and poured out His Spirit, because He is seated there and from there, here's my prayers. Because of all this, not only am I justified, but it is possible for the leper to change his spots. As the scripture says, for the Ethiopian to change his skin color. It is possible then for me, who is accustomed to do, doing evil, now to do good. And to be useful in God's kingdom. And to go in the power of the Spirit. And to bring in the outsider. To bring in the lost. And because of who Jesus is and what He has done for me, it is possible for me to disciple people. And to mentor people. And to bring them to Christian maturity. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Wonder of wonders. We can do greater works here and now, in this post-Pentecost age, and have a bigger impact on the world than even Jesus did in His own earthly life and ministry. What humility that He would save this work for us. What a privilege that He would call us into it. What a blessing on top of being a necessity that He would give us His Spirit to empower us for this. Oh, praise Jesus. And praise the Father for giving Him to us. This is what this passage is teaching us. No, not that you can waltz right into the hospital ward with well-placed faith. That you can do greater physical and material signs and wonders than Jesus did in His earthly life and ministry and that you can clear the place out. Not that. Nor does it mean that you can add the phrase, in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers as if it was a mantra or a passcode so that you would get the Ferrari car that you were praying for or the Rolex watch that you were praying for or even a promotion at work that you were praying for or the healing of a sick relative that you were praying for. Now, this passage is not teaching those kinds of things. This passage is teaching us that Jesus was going to the Father. And because He was going to the Father, the disciples should expect, for the very reason that He was going to the Father, the disciples should expect to enter the age of greater works. Spoken about first in John chapter 5 and verse 20. God the Father was about to do greater works in the world. 
than he was doing in the world during the time in which Jesus had been sent out from him. But as I said, far from downplaying the importance of Jesus, this exalts the importance of Jesus. It is the ascension to Jesus, of Jesus, to heaven, after successfully completing the mission on which he had been sent, which is the basis of his exaltation as the Messiah to the Father's right hand, to sit on the throne of David, to receive an everlasting kingdom, to pour out his spirit, and to hear and to answer the prayers of his people. We can participate in the greater works that God the Father is now doing in the world, that He is now showing the Son, only because of Jesus' ascension, and because of Jesus' Spirit, and because of Jesus' answers to our prayers. It is because Jesus has gone to the Father that we are now commanded and enabled to do the greater works of evangelizing, converting, and purifying not only a small little pocket of the world, but the nations, making them Christ's inheritance, as Psalm 2 says, and bringing about the obedience of faith among them, as Romans chapter 1 and verse 5 says. Church, let us rise up to take on this task, understanding that this is God's purpose and God's plan.